0: This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? Good? Made it safely? Good to know. Good to know. Uh, we did not uh, get as much rain as I thought we were going to get, so the roads weren't too bad on my drive-in this morning. Hopefully, they weren't too bad for you as well. So we're just glad that you guys are here and here with us safely uh, this morning. Um, I actually get to bring uh, the word to you. I have the privilege of of bringing the word this morning, and I wanted to give you before I jumped in. I wanted to give you a quick update. Um, so next week, Pastor Ron is jumping into our our, our Peaks and Valleys series. And so this week, uh, he actually had to isolate as a result of COVID. And so we're going to continue to keep Ron in our prayers. I just uh, chatted with him yesterday and even a little bit this morning. uh, And he's doing all right. He's hanging in there. He's feeling a little bit better each day. And so if you'll continue to keep him in your prayers, I know, I know. Here come the tomatoes and all the boo because I'm up here instead of Ron, Uh, but I am grateful to be here with you this morning and excited to jump into uh, our new series next week, Pastor Ron, as well. But for right now, I wanna kick this off. I'm bringing a message this morning called Misunderstood, and I wanna ask you a question to start this thing off. Have you ever misunderstood something and it created an embarrassing moment for you? Have you ever misunderstood something and it created an embarrassing moment for you? Here's the deal. I, I think one of the most common things at the top of that list of just embarrassing things of misunderstandings uh, is got to be song lyrics. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever, you ever thought you knew the words to a song? Like you not only thought you knew them, but you were confident in the words you thought you knew only to find out that you were wrong. Am I right? But let me, let me just, would you just bear with me? I'm going to give you a few examples this morning. Um, one of those comes from a, a guy named Uncle Cracker, who sings a song, Drift Away, and I'm going I'm to sing it for you, so don't laugh at me, all right, but there's a line in that song that goes, give me the beach, boys, and free my soul, I want to get a lot, you see that little country twang I added at the end there? But here's the problem, a lot of us sing that, give me the beach, boys, and this, the lyrics are give me the beat, boys, Right? Right? See, some of you are like, What? I just learned that this morning. Or what about what about if you're a big Queen fan in here and you're like, you're getting ready to sing, We Will Rock You, and there's that line that leads into the chorus that goes, Kicking your cat all over the place, singing we you know? No? Is it cat or is it can? Because a lot of us sing kicking your cat all over the place, which is just like feline abuse. Not about that um ron uh pastor ron is a is a cat hater so he might sing it that way i don't know but uh and then i i think back to one that makes me laugh every time i remember this my old youth pastor uh, that I had when I was in high school, he, he has uh, two boys, and his, his oldest boy at the time was at the end of elementary, and he was convinced that the song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, uh, had a really, really wrong lyric in it. It's not even close, uh, but there's a, there's a part in that song where it hits the bridge, and it's, you know, it's all celebratory, and it's like, they just wanna, they just wanna, that part, right? My, my, uh, my youth pastor's son was convinced that at that point, the song turned from talking about girls just wanting to have fun and that it all of a sudden became about weather analysts because he thought the line was, they test the weather, they test the weather. Like It's not even close, but he was convinced that was the line. Maybe that's been you before. Maybe you've gotten lyrics all misunderstood. and Maybe that resonates with you. But now I want you to imagine this. Imagine being on the opposite side of this situation. Imagine being the one who is being misunderstood. And not the one doing the misunderstanding, but being the one who is misunderstood. See, so here's the deal. I think as Michiganders, we can all relate on this. Because at one point in time, I had just graduated college and moved out of this state down into the desolate land of Ohio. And uh, I lived there for three years. But when I moved there, it didn't take long for me to be there to realize that um, I speak differently up here in Michigan than they do right down south in Ohio. And, you know, I lived in a city called Findlay, or it's pronounced Findlay, but it looks like Findlay, or Flag City as it's known, and that was only 50 minutes south of the Michigan border, not very far, and yet very quickly while I was there, I found out that, man, I have a different accent apparently up here in Michigan, And there's a dialect to our language that we don't even realize we have. And so I want to dive in a little bit with that this morning with you because I think it just matters as Michiganders to know how we speak differently maybe than the rest of the country. And so I'm going to put a word up on the screen here. This is the first word right here. And I want you to say it out loud with me. Ready? One, two, three. Matter. Okay? Matter, right? I'll even use it in a sentence for you. It doesn't even matter. Okay, now let me put a second word up on the screen. I want you to say it with me. Ready? Okay, one, two, three. Matt, wait a minute. <laughs> Did you hear a difference? Because for a lot of us Michiganders, there is no difference. Right? You see words with two T's in the middle of them? Up here in Michigan, we don't pronounce them as T's. Most of us didn't say matter. We said Matter. There's something about our dialect where we like to, like, take shortcuts and speak more quickly. You know what I mean? The the further north you go, the worse it gets, you know? And people start, we talk real nasally, and we're like, oh, yeah, you betcha, don't you know? Right up the street there, yeah. Like, that's a Michigan thing that we do. And words with two T's we pronounce as, as words with a D, right? Matter, matter. What about this? We do this too. When it comes to this word, We all typically say fire, fire. When I moved down to Ohio, I got made fun of very quickly by my students down there. As they, apparently everyone in Ohio and the rest of the country, when it comes to vowels like this, they go high. not us in Michigan. We stay like right here. See, everyone else says fire. We say fire. (laughs) Did you hear that? Fire, fire. Like we keep it like real low. And if that's not bad enough for you, check this out. This one really shows it. I say this word, I grew up in Michigan my whole life. I say this is challenge. <laughs> the rest of the country, including Ohio, they go chow inch. We say chale. <laughs> chow chill. You hear that? You hear the difference there? Us Michiganders, we say things a little bit differently. Imagine that. We didn't even know it. The rest of the country is saying these words differently than we are. And yet, here's the deal. We, maybe, have been misunderstood as Michiganders our entire lives when it comes to other states in the country. Imagine being misunderstood for your entire life on just a deeper level. Because if you can imagine that, then you can imagine that that was maybe what Jesus' life was like. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Is the fact that Jesus was misunderstood during his time on this earth and even how still today we can misunderstand or miscalculate the hope that Jesus brings. And so I want to dive in this morning and I hope you dive in with me. You see, I want to look back at one of Jesus' interactions this morning as, as told by Matthew in the book of Matthew. And I think this is a super important one because during Jesus' time on earth, there was a group of religious people that just hated Jesus, and they slandered him, and they argued with him, and they disagreed with everything he said, and and they even eventually plotted to kill Jesus, and this group of people were called the Pharisees. And so I want to dive into an interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees this morning, and I want to look again into the book of Matthew. I'm going to give you a little context before we jump right in. You see, Jesus had just deformed, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus had just healed a man with a deformed hand, and he did it right in front of the Pharisees. So what, right? You, You would think the Pharisees would be happy. A man's hand was healed, but they're not. Wrong. You see, this healing, it happened on the Sabbath, which was considered a day of rest. And so this meant no work was allowed on the day of Sabbath. And that work included healing people. That was considered working on the day of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are actually furious that Jesus had broken this commandment. And so I want to dive right in with you. This comes from Matthew 12, verse 14. It says this, But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So Jesus heals this guy's hand, and right away, like the reaction you think would be elation is actually the Pharisees plotting how they could kill Jesus. It seems like a bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? But here's why. The Jewish people at the time, they were waiting on God to send a Savior. And a lot of people thought that Jesus might be that Savior. But then Jesus, he began breaking traditions and rules that the Pharisees had just thought and believed were foundational, And because of that, Jesus became public enemy number one in regards to the Pharisees and how they viewed him. And he was just a threat to everything that they said and everything that they were teaching. And so the Pharisees viewed Jesus not as the Messiah, not as the Son of God, but as an imposter. And so Jesus heals this man's hand, and the Pharisees go out and they plot how to kill Jesus. But notice what Jesus says next. Verses 15 and 16. It says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. So knowing that the Pharisees, that they want to kill Jesus, Jesus moved away and continued healing people. But it's interesting because it says Jesus warned them not to tell other people, not to talk about how they were healed or who they were healed by. Why would Jesus do that? Wouldn't wouldn't talking about these miracles give Jesus street cred? Yet Matthew pauses the story at this point and he he tries to give us a clue, some insight regarding this question of, okay, why would Jesus tell them not to tell anybody else or talk about their healings from Jesus? And yet Matthew, he quotes an ancient text, one that the Pharisees and Jesus followers would have known well, and it's from the book of Isaiah. Matthew says this in verses 17 to 21. Why did Jesus do this? Why did He ask them not to talk about their healings? Well, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he, as in Jesus, will will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out; no one will hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. You see, through the prophet Isaiah, God shared a clear picture of what the Messiah would and would not be known for. He gives us two things. Jesus, he will not quarrel And his voice will not be heard in the streets. When it says that, it's referring to to bickering and fighting and arguments. In other words, the the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, wouldn't be known for fighting or yelling or, or winning arguments. He wouldn't be known for destroying enemies, as many people assumed the Messiah would do. Jesus would be known for something else. Again, verse 21, you see it right at the bottom of that screen. It said... In his name, the nations will put their hope. See, the message is clear. It's that Jesus is all about providing hope. Jesus is all about providing hope. See, the real Messiah, he would would bring hope to both the insiders and the outsiders, to Pharisees and, and those who weren't Pharisees, to the religious and the unreligious, You see, the Pharisees were basing their view of Jesus on skewed ideas and assumptions about who the Messiah would be, but his message wasn't as they expected. You see, Jesus offers hope to everyone, and all of his followers can share in this hope. You see, isn't it a bummer when we misunderstand or miscalculate things, even when we're just slightly off about things? You see, there was... There was a bridge that was built in Michigan back in the day that has an interesting story to it. It was just north of Detroit on the, I- on the I-75 freeway, and the I-75, it spans a long high bridge over a now unused shipping channel, and this bridge that was built back in the day was called the Zilwaukee Bridge, like Milwaukee but with a Z, the Zilwaukee Bridge. You see, at first, when the Zilwaukee Bridge was built, it was a drawbridge that would like open up at the middle so that, so that ships could go underneath it, right? But this is a super busy span of freeway, and so every time that this drawbridge opened up, it would just create massive traffic jams. And so they decided, well, they're like, they decided there's got to be something done about this because it's, it's just creating havoc. And so there were plans put in place for a new super bridge, it was way higher up so that ships could just easily pass underneath it. But there was a problem in the construction of this. You see, there was, a, there was a miscalculation. One side of the bridge sagged five feet, and the opposite side was raised three. So the bridge was completely unusable as they get midway, if not further, through their, construct, their construction of it. Completely Unusable. So much so that they they found themselves in such a conundrum in building this bridge that they didn't know what to do with it and the bridge sat there for nine years until they figured out what to do with it and how to make it better and to actually construct it in the right way. You see, I believe this. I believe something like this can happen to us. I believe something like this happens to us as believers. That we can... Unintentionally miscalculate an aspect of following Jesus, and as a result, there's a dynamic of our faith that can lie dormant for years. And so, this specific dynamic of faith that I want to talk about this morning is, is something that we just talked about Jesus providing it's hope. Hope is a dynamic of faith that if we miscalculate it and what it means to have hope in Jesus, that it can create this dormancy in our lives. This is, I want to tell you this, though, church. This isn't, this isn't a call. What I'm about to talk about, this isn't a call to perfection, but instead it's an invitation to reevaluate the, the way we view and live out the hope that Jesus brings us. And here's what I love about hope is that, that we get a, a really good idea from Peter what it means to have hope in Jesus. And he describes this hope to us. It comes from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. And Peter says this, Praise be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, I I believe this. I know this about myself even. That there's there's been times in my own life where I've just miscalculated what it means to have hope in Jesus. You see, unfortunately, I believe that we have a different, whether this is, in the United States or our culture here or, or just broader, just we as humans in general, I believe we have a different or miscalculated view of hope than what Peter just described to us. See, more times than not, I believe that we think of hope in terms of uncertainty. Like, oh, I hope so. I hope things will be better. I hope things will work out. But doesn't that come with a vibe of crossed fingers and, and wishful uncertainty? You see, we I think we view hope in this way where we're, we're almost like blowing out our birthday candles and, and making a wish when it comes to hope. But that's not the hope that Peter speaks of, is it? The hope that Peter speaks of is living. It's a living hope. Verse 3 again says that, In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Meaning this hope should be different. Meaning this hope should be different. It's a new birth into a living hope. This hope should be different than any other hope we've ever had in life. This hope doesn't come with uncertainty. It is certain. It is confident in Jesus, See, even when unplanned things happen, that hope doesn't diminish because we don't love our predicament. That hope gets stronger knowing that God is faithful no matter what. I believe we get, I believe we just get sucked into our culture's view of hope when it comes to our own faith even. And and our own culture's view of hope is one which longs for something to happen in the future. But the hope the hope of a Christian finds itself on something that's already been done up on that cross. Again, verse four says, God has given us new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We put our hope in a lot of things that have an expiration date, don't we? We put our hope in a lot of things that have an expiration date. We put our hope into our jobs, into our money, our possessions, our politicians, our travel, our, our popularity, all things that don't leave, all things that don't leave this earth with us when we're gone. But Peter recalls a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. One that leads to an inheritance that's that's waiting for us in heaven. And when I think of that hope, I know that no matter what happens, God is still on the throne. And he always will be. So I want to talk just a, a little bit here this morning uh, about maybe three steps. Three uh, maybe a three-step guideline that, that will help us for, for to help us remember how we can live out this hope that Jesus gives us and how that hope is just different than the hope that we've experienced in the rest of our lives or the hope that we've lived with in the rest of our lives. I think we're I think we're called as Christians to live in a way where we don't sit dormant and inefficient for multiple years of our lives, like the Zilwaukee Bridge, but we believe in a hope that is steadfast and foundational. And so here's one of the first things that just stands out to me about this. I I believe as Christians, we're called to live dangerously. Now this isn't about doing stupid stuff or crazy stunts or becoming evil-knievel. That's not what this means. But what this is about is taking risks, stretching yourself and your faith. A lot of us know the The story of the paralytic man on the mat that comes from Luke. But I'm going to read it to us again this this morning. It comes from Luke 5, verses 18 through 20. And it says this. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. Right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend... Your sins are forgiven. You see, this was was a radical, dangerous, risky course of action. This was a dangerous act of faith. See, it was no more appropriate back then to tear through somebody's roof than it would be now. The kind of dangerous living we're talking about here is a dangerous pursuit of Jesus. Jesus. We're not to settle on wishful living. We are to get out of our comfort zones and take a chance on God. And that's what I believe it means to live dangerously, to live in a way where it, it forces us out of our comfort zones, to live with a hope that looks different to our world because the rest of our world's not used to this kind of hope. And if we're to live dangerously, then maybe the next part is to live passionately. You see, the guideline here is to live life to the fullest, to be passionate about whatever you do school, work, sports, marriage, chores, friendship, hobbies, parenting. Like the list goes on and on. This, this stuff that, that gets, I don't know, under our skin sometimes, this stuff that gets mundane even at sometimes, this stuff that gets stressful, this, these things, this is the life that God calls you to. This is the life that God wants for you. Our life is just going to have some of these things, right? And yet Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39 says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus sums up passionate living in these verses. He sums up passionate living right here love God and love others. And according to Jesus these are the two greatest commandments. To give your life over to these two pursuits. I believe that's what we're called to do. We're called to give our life over to these two pursuits. And when we do that, then we will really experience life and live out true hope. What if we were to treat every day as as though it was our last? I know if I did that, if I continue to try to do that, then my my outlook on life, it will completely change. Your outlook on life will completely change. Your outlook on doing things you don't want to do will completely change, won't it? And I've been humbled by this too many times. I think over and over. I think to the every day that I go through, I'm like, man, if I just, if I don't actually put any effort into it, if I don't recognize that hope, the the hope that Jesus calls me to is different than the hope that I I find in my usual every day, then I'll just live every single day feeling like it's a repeat. It's Groundhog's Day over and over, that I'm just living the same thing over and over and over again, and I start to lose meaning. I start to lose grasp of the meaning that God has given my life, and I gotta live passionately. Here's the last one. Transform. It's a transform. If we're gonna live, if we're gonna live in a way that's that's passionate, if we're gonna live in a way that's dangerous, then that's gonna bring some type of transformation. You see, we're talking about leaving your old life behind. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me the life i live in the in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me the author of this writes this so well paul he says this so well so well he says we have to give up our old lives in order to really live and this is a daily process isn't it It's a daily process, a choice to give God leadership in in our decisions and in our plans, our priorities. And when I choose to live for myself, I forfeit my real opportunity to live. When I choose to live for myself, I I forfeit that opportunity to really, truly live how God designed for me to live. You see, when, when we become saved, a transformation takes place in us. And then it doesn't just stop there. See, the old ways that we live, the old ways that we did things, the old things that we put our hope in, they have to change. And if we're living lives where we say that we believe, where we say that we're saved, where we say that we have hope, yet we keep living the same way we did, something is misunderstood or miscalculated in our lives. And so church, I wanna, I wanna wrap up with this. What better time the now, in the new year, to figure where you're, figure out where your hope lies, figure out where your hope has been, what's it been in, to figure out how you've lived into that hope, has it been with crossed fingers and blowing out candles like a birthday wish, or has it been in the hope, has it been a kind of hope that's in what Jesus has already done? Because a vibrant hope in Jesus leads to dangerous dangerous, and passionate living, to life transformation. So does your hope land on, on things that don't sustain you? Because I promise you this, church, this morning, that Jesus will. Jesus will sustain you. Jesus sustains us. The mundane stuff of the everyday that that we live through, the things that maybe we put our hope in that we shouldn't, we'll find pretty quickly that when we put our hope in Jesus, our confidence in Jesus, our belief in Jesus, that he will sustain us. That our every day becomes everything but mundane. And we start to see ourselves living with passion for who Jesus, who God has called us to be. Church, we, we consider that this morning and into this week. Maybe there's something Maybe there's something you've been putting your hope in that God's saying, it doesn't belong there. It belongs in me. And if, if there's that one thing for you, what, what are you willing to do this week? What are you willing to do this week to take your hope out of that, remove it from that, and place it firmly in Jesus, the one who sustains us? Because I believe in a God that sustains me during the toughest of stuff i believe in a god that sustains me during the greatest of moments that that no matter what i go through in life that that god sustains me in a way i'll never be sustained by anything else so church this morning my prayer and hope is that is that you would find your hope and the one who came to seek and save the lost and change and transform this world you pray with me Father God this morning I'm just uh I'm just humbled by the way that, that you came and sent your son for us that you would you would call for us to put a, our hope in you in just a new and and powerful way God that that humbles me that reminds me of how good you are how great you are God I want to live my life in a way that That points to you God I want to live my life in a way that that shows a hope that's different than this world is used to seeing God I I pray that we live our lives in a way as your followers that just that just shows your that radiates your light and your love to the people around us God I I no longer want to put my hope in things that don't sustain me God I believe that you are the you are the greatest sustainer I could possibly have in my life God, my prayer is that this morning is that if there's any of us in here who have things that we put hope in, that that we put too much faith in, God, that we put too much weight in, God, would you help us to right-size those things so that we remember that you're the one, you are the one and only, God, that has done everything for us, that has made the greatest of sacrifices for us, and that that, God, that if we could continue to make sacrifice in our own lives to better follow you, then, God, I pray we do so. So, God, I pray that with confidence this morning. Confidence and faith and a hope that sustains. God, you're so good, and I just just praise you for that. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.